Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. I hope you and yours had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We were off last week. Hope you didn't eat too much turkey, um, which I think is probably the most overrated meat ever. Uh, there's only you only eat turkey once a year. And really not that great. Anyway, my name is Zach Adams. Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. Hope you've enjoyed your Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas to all. Uh, so glad that you're joining us. Outlaw Radio is a roughly one hour unscripted, interactive, conversational Bible study between a group of genuine misfits transformed by God's amazing grace. My name is Zach Adams, a Christ follower, husband of one, father of three. I'm incredibly blessed to pastor a local church called Calvary 316 located just outside of Athens, Georgia. You can learn more about the church by just going to calvary316.com. Uh, tonight, as always, I am joined by the man that needs no introduction, the maestro behind the madness, the producer of this dysfunction, my partner in crime, Mr. Dick Dastardly. <laughs> Hello. Welcome, Craig I am, I am decidedly less Dick Dick Dastardly now. You have trimmed up the stash that. a little bit. Like, you've cleaned it up. It looks, it looks pretty good. Excellent. You know what? I feel like I went from, like, you know, senior in high school who grew his first mustache to now I, I just embody the mustache. You're, you're the kind goal. of like the good. black, you're the black Tom Selleck. Uh, the, Tom Selleck is the white Creighton Vaughn. Whoa! <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so, Creighton, tell the, the audience that are listening on the podcast how they can join the live show. Explain how that works. So uh, if you want to join the live show, on occasionally Zach will bring up my love life and you get to join all of us and laughing at me. Um, no. That's really we have, not the main point of it. You're, that you're is, stepping it, in it right it from the get-go. It seems like it. No. Come uh, on, Dick. We have comments on Dastardly. both Facebook and YouTube, which I am watching. Um, we actually have our first comment, which is from our uh, friend of the show, Jennifer. Okay. She says she loves your shirt, which we are going to put on screen now. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of lean back. For those on the uh, <laughs> for those, those listening audio. that can't see it, it says abort row. It's a Radiance Foundation T-shirt, which I'll explain in just in just a minute. But if you are listening on the podcast, the point is that what you're listening to the day before Wednesday night at eight o'clock was uh, was streamed. The recording was streamed live, and so you can join us on YouTube, Facebook, and what makes that cool again if you're listening is that you can interact with us uh, in real time. And so, um, Creighton, how do they leave a comment? Like, what's, what's the mechanism for how all that works? Very quickly. Uh, it's just the comment section on Facebook and or YouTube. You can send it to both. I'm on in both, so I'll see it either way. Um, and you send it. I will t say it to the room if I think it's good or if it's a good question. You're the gatekeeper. question, comment, concern. A absolutely. Um, if you want to comment on my mustache, mm. any kind of compliments for me or very well. Our, man, <laughs> you are making tonight all about you. I want to do it every night. I'm just in a rare mood today. You're just, in, you're just feeling very comfortable and confident. It's yes. the mustache. You got it trimmed up, and you're feeling pretty pretty, pretty stout about it. Yes. Also joined uh, in studio uh, this evening are three of our brothers uh, working from right to left. We've got Nicholas Monty, and then we've got Sport in his Calvary 316 hoodie, which looks mm. sharp. Deal Daddy Derek, Derek Kennedy, and uh, the the big man here to the left is Justin Honeycomb. Justin Honeycomb. Honeycomb. Justin Honeycomb. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I picked up a suit from dry cleaning uh, on Monday, and I told the lady, uh, you know, I, I pull up, hand her my, my, my check, she gets my suit, puts it in the truck. I said, Merry Christmas. She goes, no, 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 no. You can't. It's not, it's just too early. And I said, no, the Monday following Thanksgiving, you can officially <laughs> yep. transition. I think it's the, the, the people that decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving. I think that's just, just heathen, heathen worship. I think mm. that's just a, a ridiculous thing. Well, I'm definitely it's a, a ridiculous thing. Like you got to get Thanksgiving's its own. It demands its own attention. Now, once it's done, then you can start decorating, and come Monday, you can start saying Merry Christmas. So, uh, no, I'm gonna Creighton, look at my play Creighton absolutely hates Christmas music. Um, what, what is your, your hatred of Christmas music? Where does this come from? Sure, um, one. I dislike Mr. Christmas Grinch. on the whole. You just don't like Christmas. I don't like Christmas at all. So, you don't like he the music hates, because he's it's a Grinch. Yeah, he You're hates a Scrooge. Joy, he's Scrooge. No, his heart is four sizes too small. 
Oh, my heart is eight sizes too small. Oh, and it's man. too small. I'll get on a soapbox. It's commercialized. It's You're obligatory gift one. giving, and I don't like it. Mr. Grinch. <laughs> it's awful. Do we have a green filter that we can just we, put over his face? <laughs> we really should make him wear a Grinch outfit. Or Scrooge outfit. He, he, more Scrooge with the mustache. That is true. You know what? You buy a Scrooge outfit, I'll wear it. A Scrooge. Okay. Well, we're going to have to talk about that off air, about getting Creighton. A Scrooge outfit. Anyway, Merry Christmas, Creighton. If you are new, <laughs> if you are new to the Outlaw Radio Show, let me very quickly explain how this dysfunction operates. There is a plan to it. Uh, as we've already mentioned, the show is designed to be interactive. Uh, again, if you're listening on the podcast, that's fantastic. But you can join the live stream Wednesday nights at eight o'clock. You can interact uh, in real time, which is a lot of fun. So the show is designed to be interactive. Uh, it's also designed to be a conversation. That's why these guys are here in the studio. Mainly, and what makes the show unique, is that it is entirely unscripted. So we are going to have a Bible study tonight, um, but I have no idea what the topic is or the passage of Scripture. Uh, the fellows in the room are also oblivious. The only one that knows is Scrooge McDuck over there, uh, Creighton Vaughn. Creighton is the only one with an understanding of, like, he knows the topic. So in just a moment, uh, he is going to share that with us all. Um. I will say just about the T-shirt. Um, I don't know if, if if anyone else tuned into it, but they uh, they streamed out the audio of today's Supreme Court hearing, uh, where they were taking the oral arguments of this uh, uh, this case that is uh, that that deals with abortion and specifically the state of Mississippi's law that restricted abortion uh, to 15 weeks. Uh, the oral arguments uh, it was fascinating. It was very interesting. Um, this is probably, especially with the, the way the court is currently constituted, um, I think we can say without a doubt that there are five justices, um, which would be a majority, um, that, that want to overturn Roe versus Wade, which makes this very likely. Uh, there are three justices, uh, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Sutter, that, that don't. John Roberts is always kind of a wild card, but with Amy Coney Barrett on the court, he doesn't really matter. Uh, his arguments, you know, I was talking to Justin before the show, about it and you know the case you know the, the arguments made by uh you know by both of the lawyers uh they were interesting they were good uh to me though the most fascinating were the, the part of it were the questions asked by the justices uh to the lawyers um, challenging pushing back but then the interaction the banter that would take place between the justices very interesting uh you know we don't get a camera in the courtroom so we don't actually get to see what's going on um, within the Supreme Court, but just to have the audio, to be able to hear it, I think it was smart, it was transparent. I think they should do that with all of it. Um, but, but I do want to say this about the abortion topic. and I would, I would figure that the majority of the audience that are listening probably side uh, with me that you're pro-life. Um, I would like to see uh, abortion um, eradicated in America uh, at a minimum sent back to the states. I think Roe versus Wade was... Uh, bad law, and then the court case with Casey was just the continuation of bad precedent. Um, that this, the court shouldn't legislate um, and should leave, um, leave it to the will of the people. And there are ways that if we want to enact a law, if the will of the American people are for abortion to be legal with whatever stipulations, then our representatives can pass a law, and that law can become um, uh, the rule of the land. But that's not what happened circumvented the will of the people and, and the Supreme Court made an edict which I don't believe they have the constitutional right to do either way I will say this and then we'll move on to the topic um, as with all law you know the law never changes the heart and one of the great fallacies I think within evangelicalism within the Christian community is that we get so bent up on changing laws um, that we, we forget and, and fail to realize that it doesn't affect the heart. The brutal reality is that you can make abortion illegal and abortions are still going to happen. That that's not the justification for legalizing abortion. But our focus should be the larger heart issue and what puts women into a situation where they, they, they feel like this is the only option that they have to terminate a pregnancy. Um, I think that that's um, a really a, a blight on our society. I think that that's indicative of something more s systemic, uh, a, a greater wrong. 
Um, if a woman gets pregnant, even if it's out of wedlock or it's in just terrible dynamics, like our, our society should so um, cherish life um, that whether it's the, the option of adoption or just a community that rallies around that woman and enables her to raise her child. Like, again, there are so many other components to this topic that, that never really get discussed or talked about. And that's one of the reasons that I, I support the Radiance Foundation. Um, I encourage you to, to, to Google them. In fact, Creighton will leave a link uh, on both the YouTube feed as well as the Facebook feed for the Radiance Foundation. Um, Ryan Bomberger, who's been on the show before, um, runs this organization. And, and, of course, they're very pro-life, but they're very pro-abortion. They have a T-shirt that says, you know, life matters. Life has purpose. And, and Ryan himself, an African-American. Very uh, anti-abortion? Uh, you said they're very pro-abortion. No, they're anti-abortion. They're pro-life. Very pro-life. Thank, Thank you for you. The, the slip there. Very pro-life. Uh, good people. Again, Ryan's been on the show. What makes his story, his background, interesting is that he was actually conceived in rape and was put up for adoption. He has never met um, um, his biological mother or father, to my understanding, and, um, and was raised by the Bombergers. Um, a white couple that adopted a bunch of children and his life has purpose. His life has meaning even conceived in just the, the, the gnarliest way possible. It's still a life. And uh, anyway, his foundation, it's, it's great. They have a lot of great literature reading. Um, he, he, he encourages you to be not an activist, but a factivist, which I think is, is pretty cool. And uh, just again, I wanted to just kind of throw out a plug in light of what's going on. That being said, Fellas, you guys ready to get into this unscripted Bible study? Always we're, ready. We're going to dive into God's Word to, to, together. We have no idea what this is, what's coming. Uh, Dick Dastardly, drop it on us. Um, I would prefer to be referred to as uh, Scrooge McDuck from now on. I like that one. <laughs> I like it a lot. That was a good one. That being said, so today I would like to talk about um, one of the Duck first tales. times. <laughs> one of the first times uh, when I was really getting into to studying the Bible uh, actually, when I was in the the pseudo Bible college that I went through with you, and I was reading through the whole Bible, I got to this passage, and at the end of it, I had a thought, and then I listened to David Guzik's study on it, and he had a very different thought, and this is one of the first times I've had a disagreement about something. For for a measure of context, David yes. Guzik, just in case the audience might not know who you're referring to, uh, David Guzik uh, is a pastor. He's a Bible scholar. He has a full Bible commentary um, on uh, his website, which is also kind of his organization. It's called Enduring Word. Again, we'll throw up a link to Enduring Word um, as well, just in case uh, the audience might not be familiar with David Guzik. David Guzik is a friend of the show, um, an older fella. He's a Dodger fan. Uh, that's a blight against his character. <laughs> um, but other than that, he is a, a wonderful Bible teacher and, and is a great step into studying the Bible. So it's a free Bible commentary online. So again, if you're wanting to study God's word more on your own and you're reading through a passage and you're like, I have no idea what this means. You can go to his site, you can pull up that passage and you can kind of read along and uh, a great introductory um, to just studying the Bible and, and expanding your understanding of what the passage might say. Now you ran into in a particular passage, his commentary that you ended up disagreeing with, which is interesting. Yeah, um, and it also fits into a series we've been doing uh, every couple of weeks, which is, this is in the Bible, what, what does that mean? Okay. Um, and that is, is that a series that we're doing? <laughs> oh, yeah, we did it with... Thank you for letting um, us know. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did it with Ananias and Sapphira, the two bears with Elisha. Um, it's, a, it's a series. Mm. So this is, in your, <laughs> in your mind, you've been creating this series, and you just drop it on us one week at a time. Yeah, basically. So find the most obscure passages of Scripture huh. and make Zach do a Bible study on them. Yeah, it's kind of my game of stump the teacher. Stump the teacher, okay. <laughs> All right. So the passage is uh, 2 Samuel 6. Okay. Most importantly, it's verses 16 to um, 23, but I think it will need to do the whole chapter for context. All right, I'm turning there. 2 um, Samuel. I can give a short rundown, or do you want to just go? Well, okay, I've pulled up the passage. Uh, do you know the parallel passage that would be in Chronicles, First Chronicles probably? Uh, I do not. I can search it. Okay, that's fine, but, but you can do that in a minute. 
Um, because for those that might not know, First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings cover um, a period of Israel's history. Um, that then there's a, the parallel narrative. First and Second Chronicles covers kind of the same a chunk of history, um, which is why anytime you, you're running into a story, First uh, Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, it's always helpful to, to pull up kind of the parallel that might be in Chronicles to round it out. In regards to this particular passage of Scripture, which we'll get to, um, what is it? Uh, I want to know up front, like what was it about this passage? Give us a summary, and then kind of what was it that, that Guzik might have said that you disagreed with? And then I want thoughts from these fellas, because you'll have some time. Hopefully you're pulling it up. You're doing a little reading. Um, again, we're all kind of flying blind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what exactly... Uh, again, this is the story of the first half of the chapter is bringing the Ark of the Covenant uh, back into Israel. Um, really bringing it... It might have already been in Israel. I have to look at it. Getting it, it back, back into to, Jerusalem, into the tabernacle. Which was not in Jerusalem, but was in Ur. Shiloh. But they're bringing it to the tabernacle, the place of meeting. Again, the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines, been re- recaptured, but hadn't gotten back to its resting place. Neither here nor there. They're, they're bringing it. Some things happen. A guy dies. David mm-hmm. gets kind of ticked off about it. Um, regroups. They bring the Ark finally to its place. He starts dancing about it. He's excited about it. There's this worship. His wife, Michael, uh, who's the daughter of Saul, his first wife, is embarrassed. And there's a whole thing that happens, right? I mean, that's kind of just the flyby. Yeah, by yeah basically. Of the the uh, so the so it opens up with him bringing the the David bringing the the uh, Ark of the Covenant back in, and he's you know he's going crazy, and the whole everyone's pumped because it's the Ark of the Covenant, and they're finally bringing it back to where it's supposed to be. Um, and so he's dancing through the streets with this thing as they're walking it along. Um, and it says that at some point he starts to like, like he's throwing off his clothes, he's celebrating whatever. Um, it gets to a point where it switches the vantage point to his wife, Michael, who is watching him. And it says that it despised, that she despised him. Um, and so we move along down the line. Um, he puts the tabernacle, or the tabernacle, I keep saying it. He puts the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. Which, by the way, is in Jerusalem at this point. The city okay. of David, it is yeah. referenced. Um, Verse 16, I was wrong there. It's all good. Um, Stump the teacher. <laughs> uh, so he puts the, puts the Ark of the Covenant back. He does a huge sacrifice, distributes food, uh, some, of, some of the sacrifice bread. Like, you know, everyone's having a great it's time. A it's a fanfare. It's a party. It's mm-hmm. a great day. Um, he gets back to his house, um, and he goes to, you know, bring more of the offering to his own family. And Michael confronts him and is like, what in the world are you doing? Why are you getting naked in front of all of these people, including your servants' maids? And then this is the part where it's like, what in the world is happening? Um, Like, David rebuts her, and he says what I think is actually kind of a famous line, even though I would never have guessed that this is where it's from, which is the, I will be even more undignified than this. You hear that a lot in Christian circles, or at least I did growing up. There was a worship song about Yes. Yeah. I'll be even okay. more. Into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he says, I'll be, like, and then he says that the maidservants of whom you have will hold me in honor. And then the last verse is, therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, I don't really understand why exactly she had no children. I, the thing that I disagree with, with um, David Guzik on is that this was some kind of punishment for the way that she treated David because she, she was um, trying to interfere with his worship of the Lord. Which So a punishment that David enacted? No, that God enacted because of her interfering with David's worship or her attempting to interfere with David's worship or de- despising David's worship. Okay. Um, and the, the problem that I had is that like knowing who David is and he might not have been there at this point yet, but David was a whoremonger. Like I, 
I, I have a hard time faulting her for getting upset about him getting naked in front of random women. The context is everything here. But I just, to this day, I still, I still don't understand why it would be a punishment for, the, for her being upset about the way he acted, given what we know about David. Because, you know, David was far from perfect, and his big problem was women. Okay. So, let's work. Also, I want to, I am paraphrasing David Guzik, and I'm paraphrasing slash interpreting what David Guzik said. If I am wrong about the way that David Guzik said that, don't, don't come at me. Because once again, he is, <laughs> he, is, he, is a great, he is a great Bible teacher. Take what I'm saying as an interpretation of what he was saying as well. Okay, so to, to understand what it is that David is doing, because I, 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 don't think, I don't think your characterization of David's actions in the latter half of the chapter um, are, are accurate. Okay. Um, and I think that's where First Chronicles kind of helps shape a bit larger of the narrative. Um, but again, to understand what David is doing and the motivation behind what he's doing, like you mentioned at the beginning of your question, you do have to kind of look at the first half of the chapter because David, David makes probably a more egregious mistake, at least in its consequence, um, and, and has to learn from that and adapt from that. Um, before, before we get into the particulars, before we kind of work our way through the chapter, I just want to throw it to you guys very, very quickly. Uh, Honeycomb, Deal Daddy, Nick, y'all have any thoughts, any questions, like any, anything you want to add just before we dive deep? Yeah, like having just now read through the chapter all the way, it seemed like, I mean, other than what she's saying about like, oh, you did this and that was from her perspective, it kind of lays it out exactly of what his intentions were, of praise and worship and we're bringing the ark in. Like, so it was, even though that may be, I don't know, timeline-wise, like you said, if that's in the future when he has these problems with women, but like the him getting naked and dressing or and jumping around and leaping and praising is praise in this context. And so that's what I was thinking. Well, my, my question would be, why would she despise him? For this one act and so it's either a build-up to to this moment mm-hmm. or this moment and what he did was so defiling like why would she react why would she way? react that way so like yeah, I said, great it's question either, it's either a build-up or there's something more going on within the context of him bringing the ark in to cause her to react this way and so you have to look at it through and a, she does not have a very good family family heritage no but but she is jewish she is jewish and so she knows that she will know the laws of how things are supposed to be done and so but my guess is it's a build-up of things in this interesting you can get to that nick you have any any yeah i mean just to go off of what he did like her getting upset about him uncovering himself and jeep leaping for joy and dancing. Other than and all the fact that, that, that your wife gets upset with you about that, yeah, often. all the time, <laughs> all like the time. every single time I'm I get home from work. But <laughs> maybe, I mean, just like a thought in my head is maybe she's getting upset with him because she doesn't see that that's right to worship or bring glory to God and getting undressed in front of people. Like, well, let's, I mean, we, we will, we will, let's get to that. I think, I think that those are all really good thoughts and they do kind of round out uh, the, the larger, the larger topic. Creighton, you have one final thing. Just to remind, cause we have a question on um, YouTube. Just remind everyone we're in second Samuel chapter six. Okay. And, so as we're, and, and we I might believe, move around from there. And I believe that the parallel passage would be first Chronicles 15. Did you first guys look that up? First Chronicles, first Chronicles 15, which is the parallel account. Now, Let's just, again, let's work our way through the scriptures here. And, we, you know, we don't have time to do an in-depth, detailed uh, Bible study, you know, verse by verse. But, but let's try to get a good feel of, of what's happening here, what leads to all of this. We're told, again, 2 Samuel 6, 1. Uh, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. That's quite a, quite a crew, 30,000. And David arose and went... With all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring from there 
the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So David is going to retrieve the ark of the covenant. Uh, that's what's in reference here. And the ark of the covenant um, was commissioned um, in, in, in Exodus when God is giving the instructions to Moses, the children of Israel, uh, for building this, this place of meeting, the tabernacle, this tent that they were to take around with them and they would set in the middle of the camp and that's where the presence of God would dwell and the people would, would surround it. Once getting into the, uh, the promised land, established there first in Shiloh and then moved later to Jerusalem where David intended to build a physical structure. The Ark of the Covenant was placed in the most holy part of the temple itself, the tabernacle, and the Holy of Holies. And the Ark of the Covenant, this golden box that had cherubim on each side, uh, this picture of the throne room of God in heaven, was where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. Again, in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place on earth, um, the Ark of the Covenant represented, it reflected the presence of Jehovah, uh, the place of God. Within the box, <clears throat> you had the, the rod that budded, validating the, uh, that Aaron was to be the priest, the Aaronic priesthood. You had the tablets of stone in the box, the law uh, of, of Moses, the law given by God. You also had jars um, of, of manna, which God had sent down to provide provision. Ark of the Covenant, this place where God would dwell. Um, during some of the years there with King Saul, and really even into the reign of David, there had been a conflict with the, the Philistines. Uh, the, the Ark was to be taken out into battle. Um, the Jewish people didn't always handle these things the way that God did. It ended up being getting captured. Um, which was not a good thing. I mean, this is where God dwells, and now it's been captured by the Philistines, this, this wicked, evil group of people, the enemy of, of God's people, have now taken it captive. And, and there's a whole story to this um, where the ark kind of makes its way back home. You know, it, it, uh, it starts messing with the Philistines. Like, they start uh, having plagues, and there's like they, they end up re realizing, like, wait, this thing is supernatural. It has power, and it is affecting us, and we need to get rid of it. So they put it on a cart, and they send it just back into the land of Israel. Like, here you go. Your most cherished possession that we took from you, uh, we don't want anything to do with it because clearly it's connected to the divine. We don't, we don't want it. Here you go. And it ends up um, being housed. We get to verse 3. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, who was on the hill, and Yuza and Ohio... Aho, I don't know how do you pronounce his name, A-H-I-O, the sons of Abinadab. So we'll just call them U and A. They drove the cart. So when it comes into the land of Israel, Philistines are like, have it back, comes back. This guy, Abinadab's like, well, we'll keep it here. So it gets to his house. They bring it in, safekeeping. Interestingly, and I believe, and you guys can fact check me, I believe it stays at his house like 20 years or something. Like, it's not like they're not in a hurry to get the Ark of the Covenant back to the tabernacle, which tells you a lot about where the people were, about where their heart was. I mean, this is where the presence, of, this is where on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest was to go into the Holy of Holies and, and you know, and, and scatter the blood on behalf of the people, atonement. Um, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be central to this. And yet it spends 20 years at this guy's house. He's got his sons, U and A. Verse 4, they put it on a cart. They're going to drive it. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And A went before the ark. Verse 5, David, the house of Israel, they played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, of stringed instruments, of tambourines, of sistrums, on cymbals. And they come to Nacon's threshing floor. Now, well, let's pause there. What David is doing here is noble. Like, this is a good thing. This is early into his reign. Um, he is God's choice to be king. Saul was the people's choice. David gets anointed very young as being God's choice to be king over Israel. He's God's man. Now, it takes some time for that transition to happen. God's teaching David a lot of, a lot of lessons. But David has this heart to have the Ark of the Covenant return to its proper place, central to the life of the children of Israel. 
at the heart of, of their religious life, the, the heart of worship, the, the, the proper position of the divine within the nation. This is a good thing by David, a good move. It's been in enemy hands. It's been in isolation for 20 years. I want to get the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, back into the central place within the nation. Now, that's a good thing. Right? I mean, we can all agree. Like, David's motivation for doing gets 30,000 men. They go. They're going to get it. They're going to load it up on a cart. And as it's going, they're going to throw this party. And a shit. it's going to be a parade. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's a good thing. The problem, while it might have been a good thing, noble intention... David's first mistake is that, is that he doesn't consult God's word at all regarding how the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported. God had been very specific in the law that the Ark of the Covenant, again, the, the, the resting place of God, was not to be uh, carted. It wasn't to have any contact with anything motorized, mechanical. It was to be carried. In fact, the, 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 even the architecture of the ark had these, these rings where a very particular size and length of pole, the type of wood, was supposed to go through. And the Levites were supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And not just any Levite. That's what's crazy. It's like there was a specific family chosen out from among the Levites that was supposed to carry. I mean, God was very particular. I mean, hey, this is, this is my presence. This is, this is great imagery, significance. Um, don't just move this thing around any particular way. The Philistines had taken it. They put it on a cart. It stays in this guy's house. David decides, let's put it on a cart. And again, I mean, that's a pretty easy way to get it from point A to point B. But the problem is, is while David had good intention, God doesn't care about good intention when his word says something very particular. You know, that's, that's a good lesson I think we should all learn. Like God... Um, you know, if you do something that violates the law of God and you're well-intended, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, like, God wants to be worshipped, but God actually kind of weighs in on how he wants to be worshipped. God wants us to serve him, but he's, but he's actually kind of particular on how he wants us to serve. God cares just as much about the, the heart as, as the way it's carried forth. And, and, and David makes a terrible mistake. He doesn't consult God's word. They're transporting the ark the wrong way. Yes, there's fanfare. Yes, he's well-intentioned. But we get to the second half. So they're taking the ark through this threshing floor. And Yuzah puts out his hand to the ark of God. He took hold of it. And, and we're told why. For the oxen had stumbled. So the oxen trip up. The ark starts teetering, you know. Him and his brother, they're driving the cart. There's 30,000 people. I mean, this is not a good thing for the ark of God to fall off the cart. Not a good look. You know, it's been in your house. You've been caring for it. You're the one driving it. It'd be like driving a hearse and the body flying out the back. That's not a good look. You have one job, right? Not a good thing. And so you can understand this guy reaches out, the, the ark's teetering, he's going to stabilize it. You know, he doesn't want it to fall over. But what happens? Well, the anger of the Lord, verse 7, was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died by the ark of God. And again, God had been very particular in the law on how the ark was to be transported, and God had been very specific. It was never to be touched by sinful men. Why? Because it was the presence of God. Like, it represented the presence of God. It was not to be taken in a trivial way. It was not to be disrespect. It was to be cherished and reverenced, which, again, is why it was supposed to be transported in a very particular way by the Levites, by a family of the Levites, signifying that it was... You know, the, the burden of the Lord was to rest on the Levites. Like, they were supposed to be carrying the burden of the Lord. Well, this guy, well-intentioned, again, the ark's going to fall off. He goes to steady it. But that was, it was a violation of God's law. And thus, God in the law had said what the consequences would be if you touched the ark. You would die. You know, in the same way that God, you know, warned Adam and Eve, in the day you eat of the fruit, you'll die. And thus, there was a spiritual death that immediately ensued, and later a physical death. 
many years after the fact. You know, God judged this man, but he judged this man according to the law that he had, he had issued. Thus, it was just, it was fair. This was not an, an overhanded, um, you know, reaction by God. This is just God carrying forth what the law, what he and the law had said. Don't touch a thing. If you do, you're going to die. And thus, this guy dies. None of this is being done the right way. Well, we're told that as a result, verse 8, David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gileite. So the ark remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gileite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And I believe, and again, this would be in numbers. You know, this is one of the taking a passage of scripture unscripted. You're, you're pulling things. I believe that this was actually a Levite, Obed-Edom. And I believe he came from the specific house. You guys can look that up, try to fact check me. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that David here, he's angry, he's upset, he's embarrassed. 30,000 people, this is, this is a PR nightmare. He's well-intentioned, he does it the wrong way, this isn't good, this guy dies, which is kind of a bummer, right? I mean, he and his family have been protecting and cherishing the ark for 20 years. He's grown up with the thing, and uh, he no doubt cares about it, what it represents. You know, he's the one that volunteers to, to, to drive the cart, you know, and what is he rewarded with? Well, he dies. You can imagine that his dad's not very pleased about it, that his brother's not very happy about it. The 30,000 people are like a bit freaked out. David's freaked out. He's like, this is, I can't, I can't do this. Put the ark in this guy's house because he's, he's the right guy for it. And we're going to regroup. Now, what ends up happening is I believe about three months later, David decides that he's going to, um, he's going to move forward. This man, Obed-Edom, his house is blessed. It was told to the king of David, verse 12, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom, all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. So take two. So it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. So, so you, you got to understand, right from the beginning, David has learned something valuable, right? Takes three months. I imagine he goes and he consults with the Levites, like, hey, this didn't work very well. What did we get wrong? And they're like, well, you didn't do it the right way. This is the proper mechanism. You and didn't talk to us the first time. You, you didn't consult God's word the first time. God gives us his word for a reason. Uh, bumpers. And so David, like, okay, we're going to do this again, but we're going to do it the right way. We've done it the wrong way. That did not work out. We're going to do it the right way. And he's learned a lesson here. So he has the right people. They're carrying it. It's not on a cart. Again, now he's, he has still the same heart, still the same intention, still the same desire, but he's going to do it the way that God wants it to be done, which is something important. Again, I think it's important for the, the, the modern church. You know, we place such an emphasis on, on our worship yielding a, an experience for us without thinking through the experience for God. And God is very particular on how he wants to be worshipped, not just for the experience that we have, but because there's something that he takes delight in. And if we do it the wrong way, if we're not consulting scripture, if we're not, if we're not seek, like, what is the purpose of our worship? It's to please God. And if we want to please God, then we'll do it the way that God wants. It's like being a parent. I don't, I don't, like, I want my kids to obey me. That's true. But I also want my kids to obey me the way I want them to obey me. It's not just the destination, but there's an intention behind the journey. You know, it's not just that I want my kids to have their room cleaned. Um, I, I want them to clean their room the right way. I mean, they could take all of their junk, put it in the garbage can, and the room's cleaned. But am I going to delight in that? No, the room's clean, but I don't delight in it because, like, you just threw away all the stuff I spent money on. Like, for lack of a better illustration, I, I hope I'm kind of making my point. It's not just what, what's accomplished. God cares about how it's accomplished. Because there's a process to this. There's something important to this. 
that matters to God. So David, first time, the right heart, wrong way, God doesn't like it. Second time, right heart, same heart, but now he's going to do it the way that God wants it, and God delights in it. It's a good thing. As a result, he's sacrificing oxen, fatted sheep, which is a sign of contrition. He's seeking atonement. This is blood offering. So he's acknowledging his error. I didn't do this right. I take responsibility. I, I would think that even within the sacrifice of oxen and fatted sheep, this is the burnt offering. Um, David is probably taking ownership for the death of this man. Um, again, David is in the right place, doing things the right way. Verse 14, then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, that, that, that's important. That's an important detail. Because the linen ephod has significance in regards to Scripture. Now, I don't expect any of you guys to just immediately connect the dots. You want to take a guess? Take a gander? Where else? Who else was wearing linen ephods? The high, high priest. The yeah. high priest. And not just the high priest. The high priest, that was his base garment. And then he had all kinds of stuff the added robes. to it, right? The, the breastplate and the, and the head that, you know, he's got the hat. and the, He had all kinds of tassels and had to get up. But the normal priest, like the guys that were in charge with the grunt work, they were wearing linen ephods, which was kind of like, you know, one, one garment from, from neck to, to, to ankles. Linen me meant that it was to be uh, it was the lightest type of material, as opposed to cotton, which you would sweat. Linen, uh, very breathable. Again, God wanted the priest to be about his business, but he wanted his business to be as effortless. It wasn't about their work. You know, there was supposed to be light, supposed to be airy. So what David is wearing here, a linen ephod, has significance. Like, he's not picking this out of the blue. He is, again, we have Levites that are now carrying this. We have Levites that are involved with this. We have the priestly class heading this up. They've consulted. They're the ones making these offerings on behalf of David. But he is wearing the attire of everyone else. He has taken off his kingly robes. He's taken off, you know, his, like, whatever might, might set him apart would give him uh, attention. He's taking the attention away from himself. This is not about him. And he's dancing, and there's this celebration. He looks like everyone else looks. He is not, in this moment, the king. He is a child of God. He is part of the collective, celebrating the return of the, the ark of God. So David, we're told, and all of the house of, of Israel brought the, the ark. Notice, David and all of the house of Israel. He's, his, what, he's leading it. He's part of the whole, which is important to him. They're shouting with the sounds of trumpet, the ark came into the city. And Michael, and this kind of starts getting to you know, what, you, what you're asking. Saul's daughter looked through the window and saw King David leaping and twirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord, and they set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Again, Leviticus 1, 2, we're given the record of these things. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, and he distributed among the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, so that everyone had a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, cake, and raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, now let's pause there because there's, there's some sequencing here. There's kind of an order to what's happening yeah. Notice David is bringing the ark into the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. He's erected the tabernacle. They're going to bring the ark, put it back where it belongs. He is wearing the linen of the masses. He's taken off his kingly attire. He is one of everyone else. He is not in a place of, of significance, of importance. This is about God and God alone. It's not about him. And he is, he is dancing. He is worshiping. There's the music and and he's one of many. Like, this is everyone. He is just, again, part of the crowd. Again, this Mardi Gras down the streets of Jerusalem, a holy Mardi Gras. 
a righteous Mardi Gras. Everybody has their heart on the right thing. And they get to the tabernacle. The ark is put back into its place. And notice that the dancing, the fanfare, all of that kind of ceases and things get somber. Solemn. There are sacrifices that are made. And again, it's been years since these sacrifices have been made at the place God had mandated them to be made with the ark. And once the, the burnt offerings and the peace offerings are made, you know, David has distributed to everyone present meat and bread and cake. Again, the reward, the blessing, their sharing and the experience. And as everyone goes their way, David's not dancing and singing. He goes home like everyone else. He returns. Now, Michael has seen all of this transpire. He saw him coming in. She saw him coming in. Now, you got to keep in mind, and again, we're told, I think the way that she's introduced. Notice back in verse 16. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, notice she's not presented as his wife. She's not described as his wife, the wife of the king, the queen of Israel. She's given this, this designation, the daughter of Saul, which, again, is very important because it's not without context. How was she raised? Now, Justin, you're right. Earlier, she's a Hebrew. Um, but her father was a wicked king. Going through this story, I, I'm now getting some real real Housewives of Jerusalem vibes coming off of her. <laughs> no doubt. And, and so now I see where her anger is coming from. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's She's a, just mad her name is Michael. Is <laughs> that Michel? Michel. Or, oh, yeah, that's yeah, better. Michal. But, but again, Michal. So you, you brought uh, up earlier, you know, like what would be the motivation of her anger? She is the right. daughter of Saul. The first king of Israel, right. all she has known is royalty, all she has known is a, 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 like a, a private, uh, a posh life. Uh, she, she dignity, yes. everything that comes with the crown, right. being the royal family, there is something deeply ingrained in her about that. Not only that, not only was she the daughter of the first king, but she ends up being the, the wife of the second king. You know, I mean, she, she has only, she's not a, she's not one of the, the normal people. She's not real, a common. She's a real housewife of Jerusalem. She's a real housewife of Jerusalem. And as a result, she looks out and she sees her husband, the king, not looking like a king. Yep. Now, David doesn't want to look like a king for all the reasons we just talked about. That's important to him. But when she sees him, and again, how does she see him? Is he naked? No. He's wearing an ephod. He looks like a commoner, like one of, one of the multitude. The poorest attire there was, just a linen ephod. I don't, I don't think she's, she's all that upset about the fact that, you know, I said, even the, the dancing and all of, all of that, like with, the, with everyone else, that's not how a king should, should handle themselves. A king is supposed to be dignified above the fray. You're not one of the people. You rule the people. And so you can understand where she's, you know, she despises him in her heart. You know, you guys look up whatever that Hebrew word despise. I'd love to know specifically what I, word, what I word did that. You already did that. Yeah, but <laughs> so, so this, I gotta find it again. I'll let you guys pull it up, but she despises him. So David sends everyone away. He comes home, right? And we're told, you know, and again, it just, it just, oozes with sarcasm, doesn't it? Does. it? <laughs> How glorious was the king of Israel today? Again, you, you see what she's saying. You didn't behave like a king should behave, mm -hmm. as if there's any precedent other than Saul, who is not exactly the best precedent for how kings should behave. Bizarre. So what does the word mean? Like, other than just despise, is that an accurate? Just, yeah, it just means it's used multiple times, 49 times in the Bible. Uh Good, good first usage of it. Genesis twenty five thirty four, where, where uh, Jacob stole Esau's uh, birthright, and says thus so it's, it's Esau despised deep. his birthright. So okay, so if we're if we're connecting this word despise back to the way that Esau Esau reacted this way to Jacob, and what did he want to do? He wanted to kill him kill to him. the point that Jacob had to flee and run. Right. So this word despise is not that she's like she's throwing a hissy fit. She is deeply offended. She's very upset. Like what David has done, 
it, it, it hits and, and attacks a particular sensibility within this woman. How glorious the king uncovering himself in the eyes of his maidservants. Had he unco- I think she's overstating what happened, right? Yeah, for holding sure. Content mm-hmm. and oh, to hold in content. Yeah. Has yeah. David uncovered himself? Well, in regards to the attire of, of a king, yes. yes, he has. But then she, she says, as one of the base fellows. Mm-hmm. You know, David's not naked. Instead, he's, he's, he's humbled himself. And she's kind of calling the Levites base fellows, which yeah. they absolutely oh, yeah. aren't. They're Levites. They're Levites. Again, but that, I mean, the understanding of who her father is and what she's grown up in makes sense. So David, verse 21, we'll kind of finish the I story. I love his rebuttal here. So David <laughs> yeah. says to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Drops the hammer. Yeah, if he was hoping to get laid that night, <laughs> nope. not going to happen. But he's making a point. He's saying, he's saying, the way that you understand kingship or the behavior of a king, like I'm not, I am not upholding the precedence established by your father. God chose me. This is not by secession. You come from, from royalty. I come from the fields. And God chose me. He says he appointed me to be ruler over the people of Israel. No, notice he, he says, not, not, not my people. It's his people over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And David was a musician. Keep that in mind. You know, he was a musician. He was an artist. Verse 22. And I will be even more undignified than this. And will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I, I will be held in honor. Therefore Michael, the daughter of, of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, I think, Creighton, we, we have kind of a better understanding of what it is that David has done. Absolutely. And I don't think David has done anything. What was inappropriate is the first half of the chapter when he didn't consult God's word. Well-intentioned, poorly executed. Someone dies as a consequence, you know. Not good. David learns. They do this the right way. He's humbled himself. Um, he, under, he gets it. This is all about the Lord and the Lord being returned to his place and the, and the center of the people of Israel. And he is, yes, he's the king, but, but the king is the servant of all. Mm. And he's like, if you think that, I'll be more indignified than even that. Yeah, it makes much more sense. He's not going out there and stripping down in front of everybody. He he's was, not showing he, himself. He was humbling no. himself. Yes. He's yeah. being the people. He's yeah. rejoicing with his people how he's, he wants absolutely. before God. He's so leading by example sense. in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, The yes. ephod definitely changes things. Um, in fact, Jennifer just commented that, oh, he was not actually naked because mm-hmm. I have definitely thought that he was either, you know, naked or very close to hurt yeah. near, yeah. you know, like in his – I was. It was taught to me as a child. This is his boxer yeah. briefs, but again, yeah. which is not. She's the just case. talking down to. Well, him. in the linen ephod was the undergarment, but I mean that was the basic. You had the the, the linen ephod. Everyone had one, and then you had a cloak, which was the mm-hmm. outer coat when it got cold, and that would also double as your blanket. And when you see Jesus with the white and then the thing around his shoulders, that's mm-hmm. the linen ephod, which is the commoner. Right. That's a lot more than boxer briefs. Right. But it was the. But in in that culture, that was like the base attire. That was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now let's get to this last verse, because I think we have a better understanding of the passage and, and what's happening, which again sets context. I don't think David's in any error whatsoever. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, are we told that God judges her because no, of what happens? that's what I, my question was going to be. No. There was never said that it was a judgment. No. Yeah, but the word David, therefore. David could have just been like, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> holding out it on do, you. It doesn't, the Hebrew doesn't use the word barren, which is oftentimes the, the punishment. It just says she didn't have a child. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Interesting. Now, Derek does bring up something that's important. It's kind of like bibliology rule number one. Yeah. Anytime you run across a therefore, yeah. what do you ask? Why is what, it there for? What is it there for, for right? Because she got and that so heart problem. the whole chapter, we have this whole chapter, and the last verse, therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. 
So there is very specifically a um, there is a consequence that's being carried forth because of what's happened. Now, we're not told that this was the judgment of God. Justin, I appreciate bringing up the word barrenness because there are instances where barrenness can be the judgment of God, um, but that's but that's not an expositional constant, meaning that that's not always the case, always the time. So you can't make that particular leap. What's happening here is, is there is a, the, she is experiencing a consequence to what has been revealed regarding her character. I don't, pers- I don't see this as a, the judgment of God, but I do see this as an appropriate reaction of David. And this is where Creighton, I think kind of that, that, well, David's a womanizer. I don't understand how he could do this to her in the, in the context, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think that that's an overreach. Um, yes, does David make very poor choices in his life regarding women? That's true. Has he made those poor decisions at this juncture? No. Um, again, that can segue into a different conversation. But think about it. This is his first wife. So this is the queen. Meaning that her children will be what? Oh, kings and queens. They will be the rightful heirs to the throne. So if he has a son by her, his children will be raised by her. And what's happened is that her being the the daughter of Saul has shown the same type of spiritual acumen that her father had, meaning very little. Meaning that the next generation will just be a continuation of Saul's dynasty. And so David, I think what, what's, what's being articulated here is that it's, it's as a result of what she has done. It has revealed something about her. And again, David, David married her because as, res, as a result of killing Goliath, he was promised her hand in marriage, right? You know, this was not a, a marriage built in love or, or even really that, for that, all that matter, choice. But David here is looking at this woman that, that he's, he doesn't know a lot. And he's like, that is not the spiritual heritage that, that I want to impart to my children. And as a result, she has no children. Why? Because David, David de- doesn't give any. David decides, I will not be fruitful with you. No. Because what you will yield will not be fruitful. And so... She's set aside as a result of the daughter of Saul and revealing what is revealed, uh, which again is a totally different way of, of, of seeing the story. No, absolutely. It based definitely up, is. Right. Now, what's interesting, and, and we're, we're about out of time. Is, yeah, I also have a question from Jennifer that I think is interesting. Okay, well, let's do that before, before I share two thoughts. And you guys jump in with anything that you might have, because I have two concluding thoughts I want to share about the passage. Do your concluding thoughts first. This actually jumps back to Uzzah. Now, I want to right. wrap things up so, with the concluding thoughts. In dealing with Uzzah, the guy who reached back, yep. stopped the cart from fall, stopped the ark yes. cart. She asks, would it be better for the ark to fall? And then corollary, how would it be picked back up without touching it? Okay, well, first, <laughs> let's, 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 great question. Yeah. Really good question. Um, you're making an assumption that the ark would have fallen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not, we're not told that. Um, no doubt there's a rocking taking place. There's some, something is happening because of the slipping of the oxen where Yuzah believes it's going to fall. You've got to realize that there's a very supernatural component to the Ark of the Covenant. Um, it's carried on poles into water. That water stops flowing. You know? <laughs> right. You know, like, you know, it, yeah. it's it brought into the Jordan River and the Jordan River stops <laughs> flowing so that the entire nation can cross while it's at stage you know, flood stage. And then as soon as they exit, the water starts flowing again. It may fall and just float right there and not even touch the ground. <laughs> float right yeah. there. Like there's, a, yeah. there's an assumption that, that, that God was going to allow the ark to have fallen over or that, or that somehow it would have been damaged or that the, the lid. I don't ever really like playing the hypothetical game because it's not what happened. I mean, it didn't happen. Um, was the ark being transported the wrong way? Yes. Um, if... You know, this, this man, Yuza, was like, I can't touch it. It's, it's going. It's, it's falling down, and then it falls on the ground. You know, and you've got the tablets of stone, and the staff is rolling out, and the glass <laughs> bottles are broken. 
you know, mana starts stinking the joint up. It's like, well, what do we do? They're still going to have to reach the same conclusion. Well, we need to go get some poles because clearly we don't want to touch the thing. And we need to get some priests in here. Again, the hypothetical, understand the nature of the question, but there's a supernatural component to this. Um, I don't think the Ark would have fallen. If it had, I don't think it would have been damaged. Um, if it had fallen, I think it would have fallen right up. You know, I ain't going any further. Put some poles in me, move me uh, mm-hmm. the appropriate way. Yeah. So I think that that gets to the, to, the, to the question itself. You guys have anything before I wrap up with two thoughts that I think I think applicable? Bring it home. Guys, got anything? Nick, anything? Um, just, where was it? I just had it. Go to them. I, I liked, well, I read through the um, Chronicles as well, and they both, both times it's, it'll state exactly how she despised him in her heart, and they both referenced that, well, specifically, like, oh, he, they wore the linen ephod. Even, like, the stories were similar, but those two things were, like, exactly the same and specific in telling that about the story. I thought that was interesting. So, any, anything else? You guys got anything else? Yeah, I, so my favorite part is David's response to her. Just saying it was before the Lord. I mean, he's just basically just telling her, this wasn't for you. This was for the Lord. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm doing it for the Lord. And, like, that's huge a part of, like, everything that you can think that you're doing daily in your life. Like, don't do it for others. Do it for the Lord. Mm. And you can, like, the one thing you can take home from this passage to me is that that struck me. Mm. It's like, I mean, you, you think about that all the time, but. Let me ask you a question. So you guys looked at the first Chronicles 15 passage. Yeah. Um, what is what is left out of of that account? The ending, like of what? what are, where so, so it talks about where how she does isn't going to have a child. It doesn't have that at the end. Of yeah, it doesn't I read have the 16 ending. And 17. I was like, is it going to happen? And then like, nope. They just didn't talk about that. Is there any mention of Yuza touching the ark? No. Now all, all that we're told. Is so, so David's going to bring it. And he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers of the houses of Levi. Sanctify yourself, you and your brethren, that you may bring the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared. For, because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him yep. about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord to God. I do like verse. So what's mind. interesting... And, and what I, I love about the Chronicles and the context of the history that it repeats is that it tells us something interesting. So Chronicles, to the best of our understanding, was compiled by Ezra. And it was during that period in which post-Babylonian exile, where the people are being allowed to return to the land, and he's, and he's, there's, he's leading a spiritual revival amongst the people. And so first and second chronicles are are the repeating of this this the history, but it's done so interestingly from the perspective of God. So f- first and second Samuel, first and second Kings give us just the raw history. First and second chronicles, first and second Kings gives us the same history, but from the vantage point of God, which is interesting because when God looks back on this particular story that we have recorded in First Samuel six. God skips over all the junk, doesn't he? Yeah. Why? Because he doesn't remember it. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what one story you like, if you were going to you know, talk about David's life, I mean, you have to deal with Bathsheba, don't you? Mm-hmm. But you know what story's not included in First or Second Chronicles? Of the accounting of David's life, that? Why? Because God casts our sin as far as the east from the west. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. And so, yes... David made a mistake, but he repented of that mistake. And then we're just giving the account where he's like, hey, guys, you know, we did it wrong the first time, of which we have no account. This is how we're supposed to do it. And that's all that God sees. He sees the repentance, the understanding of, 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 of a mistake, but the consequence is gone. And then in, in, in regards to, to, to Michael, 
All we're told is that, and it happened, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window, saw David whirling and playing music, and she despised him in her heart. That's it. Yep. Now, here's, here's the other thing. So, so there's a lot of grace in the way that God remembers the story, isn't there? It skips over the mistakes, doesn't he? But if, if David made the decision that he could not produce fruit through Michael because of her pompousness and her self-righteousness and her, her lofty uh, perspective of self. I don't, need, I don't need an heir coming from her to sit on the throne. How, interestingly it, how, how interesting it is who David then chose later on. Because who was the next king of Israel? Solomon. It was Solomon. And how did Solomon come about? Well, Cheating? <laughs> well, no. Actually not. Solomon was not birthed in adultery. Oh, that's right. Sol- the, the, the child that was conceived of the affair that David had with Bathsheba dies. It's the consequence of what happened. David then, because he had her husband killed, marries Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. And it's through their, their marriage that, that David makes the decision to have an heir with her. And he chooses that that heir will sit on the throne. And I think it's, again, just this interesting picture of grace because Bathsheba was very much aware of what Michael wasn't that she was broken and that she was a sinner. And David's like that God will produce fruit through that, through contrition, this haughty daughter of the the former King. No, but this woman that's broken, that's a sinner that like me has, has learned repentance. Well, fruit can be yielded there. And isn't that a lot about our own lives? Absolutely. Just the way that that sure. plays? Yeah. Well, anyway, we're, we're, we're long on wind tonight. Uh, guys, have anything else? Anything you want to add? Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, <laughs> Dick Dastardly. Bah humbug. Bah humbug. <laughs> well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. While the show is live streamed every Wednesday night, the audio is released on our podcast the following morning. If you've yet to subscribe, the podcast is hosted on Apple, Google, Spotify, Quick Links. Just check out our website, outlawradio.org. Again, outlawradio.org. Live show if you're a listener, Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. YouTube, outlawradio.live, or facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Fellas, again, thank you for being with me. My name is Zach Adams. I hope you choose to join me next week. This time, next week. Wednesday nights for another episode of the Outlaw Radio. I got there eventually. Good, 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 good night, folks. <laughs>